Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, Ken's Fives Podcast on the San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Jackson Floyd. That's Evan Klosky. Is that Tom Petrini's music? <laughs> oh my goodness. Look at that friendly face on mic number three we, over there. We have added to the wolf pack. We have gone from two to <laughs> now three. <laughs> Uh, th- 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 so, I mean, th- th- this feels less like the Big Fun Pod and the Big Apple Pod. I'm surrounded by two New Yorkers here, uh, out, of, out on my own here in terms of that. Uh, if, the, if the Spurs things fails, guys, you can do a, a pizza podcast or something. The, which, yeah. uh, during the off season, we will yeah. do something along those sorts. <laughs> Food recommendations. I know you're getting into the scene right now. Yes. Thank <laughs> I just want to thank everybody who has sent me food recommendations. Uh, I've eaten at a couple of these places, and they are delicious. Uh, before I got here, everybody made fun of me because I lived in Austin, and I can't control the quality of the tacos, but I can confirm that they're better. <laughs> yeah, you were at a Taqueria Data Point last night, I believe, yes. uh, right yes, down yes. the street from the Kins 5 studio here. Um, guys, we finally won a rodeo road trip game. It's uh, there we go. Uh, it's always Big nice to, to kick these off on a, on a high note here, on a good note. Can't but, uh, do worse than last year, <laughs> so that's <laughs> good. True. You oh can only goodness. tie it. Uh, but it's it's been a rough stretch here. I, I think is a, an understatement, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's certainly, especially at the end of games here. Yeah. I mean, if you go to sleep at the end of the first half, which, I mean, I'm a new dad. I do that. Uh, 8.30 p.m., I'm in bed. I'm knocked out. Spurs are uh, number two seed in the West they, that they way. They look great, yeah. But, <laughs> man, these, these second halves. Guys, what's happening here? Dude, I mean, look, there are a lot of things that change yeah. from game to game, and I think it's just a consistency thing. I mean, if we had a nickel for every time Papa said this team doesn't play a full 48 minutes, uh, we got a crap ton of nickels. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, I, I do think it's just a matter of, A, Pop figuring out his late-game rotations, yeah. which I really think now he's sort of, I don't want to say second-guessing himself. He's going with the strategy now of whoever is hot, that's who I'm going to play. Yeah. And he's reacting to the game and the way that the players are dictating it. And from that standpoint, I think it also kind of burns him a little bit. We definitely saw that happen, um, I want to say, in the Denver game yeah. when the lineup pushed the lead. I think they gave up the, the avalanche. Denver ends up going up a little bit. Then the Spurs push back up thanks to LaMarcus Aldridge hitting some buckets. Yeah, we take the and lead, yeah. I believe Bellinelli was in at that time. It was Aldridge. I want to say Rudy or Patty was also in at that time. And Pop was riding out that lineup because he saw success. Even though Derek White was on the bench and you knew that you needed him defensively and eventually the dam broke. And, yeah, you know, it caught the, up to you. Exactly. There, so yeah. it's like you're riding a hot streak, but you're getting caught up in the moment too. Yeah. And, you know, I think that goes to show you just a little bit of how hard it's been for Pop to yeah. really, like, the logic has just, like, I think he's done everything logically in his head, and now he's starting to try to do emotional things. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily working either. Tom, no DeMar DeRozan in these last two games. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from the team without him not there? Yeah, so... Um, you, you printed out the uh, advanced stats. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah, and of I, I had a suspicion, and watching the film, you can kind of see that um, when DeMar is in the game, he needs the ball in his hands to be impactful yeah. at mm-hmm. his best. Like, if you put him in the corner, he's not going to shoot that shot most of the time, mm-hmm. and it's destroying the spacing. So yeah. in order for the team offense to work when he's on the floor, the ball needs to be in his hands. And what happens when you play like that is, even though he's an unselfish player, even though he distributes the ball well and his playmaking is much improved, 
it leads to less opportunities for guys like DeJounte Murray and Derek White and Lonnie Walker, who are also at their best with the ball in their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I compared it the other day to like trying to grow saplings mm-hmm. in the trade of a big oak tree, in the shade of a big oak tree that sucks up all the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a great opportunity for them to grow. And in these games without DeMar, we've seen those guys get more opportunities and DeJounte had a season-high 25 on an incredibly efficient night. And um, his, his efficiency recently, um, especially the way he's taking care of the ball, which has always been a concern for him, yeah. he's really blossoming. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about you know him suddenly handling the ball without DeMar around there. We saw a stat appear in the middle of the Thunder game there. No turnovers for DeJounte Murray in 20 straight quarters there. Yeah. He ended up having one yeah. in they the jinxed him. Thunder game. Yeah, so he's had too. four in the month of uh, in this month, yeah. So he's he's had a total of four. That's which the is, growth you're looking for. From yeah, him. yeah. And, and you know, and, and not to pin this all on Demar, you know, the efficiency from a shot was happening mm-hmm. you know, throughout the season. I think yeah. there's only a handful of guards, by the way, who are shooting above fifty percent. Yeah, Dejounte is one of those guys. He's a legit three level scorer now. Yeah. That that mid range is money. Mm-hmm. He's hitting threes at a reliable clip. Now. He just yeah, he it's just some, a confidence thing, you know. Him and Derek, I think, just have to let it fly a couple more times. Right. Yeah. The thing with his handle, with you know, turning the ball over, if. His extemporaneously, it's not that great yeah. if he has to like come up with it on the fly. But if it's just a couple of bounces to get to a spot and get his shot off, mm-hmm. he's money. Yeah, and I think that was the big transition, at least earlier in the season. And when you heard DeJounte after the OKC game admit that, like, hey, you know, by the way, I've only had really one season to do this thing. Yeah, right. Uh, and I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning here. And, and, you know, it's all coming together. So there is a bit of patience that still has to be put on the fans, which I, I know the fans love Murray. It's more of just the expectations that right. the fans and, you know, the organization really built up Murray last offseason yeah. before the injury and said, this is a guy that you need to watch out for. And usually the organization doesn't like to pump up their guys like that, but they really were with DJ. And then he got injured and sort of that kind of brings you back and it takes you back a step because not only does he have to recover from the injury but then he's got to become to the form that everyone was pumped up about last season but uh nonetheless i think that um dj uh if he can also learn to really navigate in traffic through transition when he's moving on the fly and using that athleticism to his benefit and not sort of getting caught up in in the moment that is when i think he's gonna go to the next step and you know, I said it all the way back when Houston, uh, when the Spurs played Houston the preseason. Yeah. I really like Murray and Walker together. Yeah, you have two freakish athletes who, when you the other team misses a shot, they're out yeah. of the gates. Mm-hmm. And DJ hits Lonnie, Lonnie goes. And I, I, and I think that those two, when looking into the future, yeah. those two are going to blossom together. Well, I mean, Pop talked about that in the preseason, too. He was saying, you know, he thought DeJounte Murray was a freak athlete, the fastest guy on the team. And then he sees Lonnie Walker out there running around. He's, he's a gazelle, you know. Kind of <laughs> here's a thought for you guys. Yeah. Who's another good player on the Spurs in transition? Uh, Rosen, perhaps? <laughs> he's maybe, yeah. maybe the three of them together yeah. would be... 
fun to watch. I just want to note for everybody watching, uh, these these short people sabotage me. I'm 6'4". <laughs> <laughs> the stool that keeps going down. So yeah. adjusting. Uh, don't you, you, uh, that, we're, we're, that's it's, it. it's an introduction to the podcast. you got to adjust on the fly. Man. That's how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to HR. Uh, so we asked uh, you on the Twitterverse there, those who follow us, at Big Fun Pod, at Real Tom Petrini, at Evan Klosky, mm-hmm. I'm at Jackson Kins Five. You uh, better follow that account. <laughs> <laughs> follow all of us. We're we're a fun group on uh, Twitter. Uh, we asked you for your questions there. Before we transition to those questions, anything else that stood out in these last three games? A weird stat? Anything uh, that you guys took of note? Um, and I'm happy to get started because mm-hmm. I've got one for you all. Uh, we we talked a little bit yeah, about right. um, how. Uh, how, how it feels like Rudy Gay has aged 10 years in front of us. Uh, and I feel that was really apparent in the last five he's, games. There he's was, the Robin Williams gif when he walked out. <laughs> what, what year is it? <laughs> uh, I mean, there was a point in time during one of the games where he went up for a dunk, and all of us were like, oh, my God, can he do that? Is he okay? Is he injured? You know? Like, yeah. Um, we, it was we, in OKC. It was, OKC a, it was a life that. alert thing. Like, yeah. he crammed it, but then it was like, I've fallen, and I can't get up. But, I mean, if you look at That's the advanced stats, uh, the net ratings here in that Denver game, he was something like negative 59, negative 60 on the net rating. Yeah. Like, just he's not there defensively like he had been in the past. He's he's missing shots. His shots are falling a little short. That's to me stands out. Like maybe the legs aren't underneath him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's losing a little bit of that power. Uh, you like to see him kind of return to form, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, uh, you wanted to say something. Yeah. So, I, I think one thing that we've really seen from Rudy this year is that he's way more comfortable and way more effective the closer he is to the basket. Mm. And if he has to defend on the perimeter he's getting blown by or giving up an open three-point shot. And if he has, if he catches wide open at the three-point arc, the whatever part of his brain that controls that action is fundamentally broken. <laughs> like, yeah. he, you, can, you can see him overthink it. And he, when he takes the shots, there's like, you know, hesitation and a little hitch in it. And most of the time, he just doesn't take the shot. He, he would rather dribble into an 18-footer or into a crowd of people. Yeah. And... The, the really frustrating part of that, if you are a fan who wants to see change, is that it kind of works for him on offense. Mm-hmm. Like, he's better at shots with a guy in his face somehow. Um, that's that's a stat you can look up on NBA's advanced stats mm-hmm. is how he shoots on, like, wide-open threes. It's somewhere around 20% yeah. this year. It's way better when there's a defender in his face, and it's absolutely confounding. It's got to <laughs> so be a mental wild. thing. Yeah. Um, and the defense... Uh, Buddy Heald in that Kings game shot 9 of 10 from three. Uh, the entire Spurs team had seven threes. Jeez. And uh, he made a lot of tough shots, but we can't even pin this one on Bryn. Yeah. It was, he was burning everybody, and especially Patty Mills and Rudy Gay. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, I think Buddy Heald and the questions might come up one or t- once or twice yeah, in the conversation I, there. But, uh, and just uh, one of my big things coming off uh, this most recent stretch, A, uh, the Spurs, I think, were leading at halftime in all but one of the games. Uh, the Lakers game, I think, was the only one. The, only one, yeah. the Lakers game was really the only game where there was no way in heck they were going to win that game. It would have taken like the best of the best efforts that the Spurs have. Like the Lakers played a great game. So yeah. outside of that game, the Spurs legitimately had a chance to win every single game. Yeah. And uh, that's what kind of hurts about only having one victory is watching lead squander late. But uh, I do want to determine the difference between the Denver game and the Sacramento game. I think the Sacramento game. Uh, they fell apart 
Uh, I really, I just think defensively, they absolutely fell apart. And execution, I think that's why Pop was pissed after the game, was because the the second unit there, which, by the way, is the most reliable unit on the team, historically speaking, this season, like that is the unit that gets you plus points. Uh, They they just fell apart. And really, it was bad. I mean, it was just bad defense all around. You want to hear some of these plus-minus numbers from that bench unit? (laughs) Yeah, go (laughs) say this. Rudy Gay, minus 26. Uh, Lonnie, minus 28. Derek White, minus 28. Patty Mills, minus 26. And obviously, it's not an indictment of specific players. It's more an indictment of the unit as a whole. One thing I noticed watching that tape was, and I can't believe the Kings did this to the Spurs. I mean, that Mm -hmm. that is the real kick in the gut about it. (laughs) But they moved the ball really well. And if, if you watch the Spurs defensive film this year, the rotations break down after about 10 seconds maybe Mm -hmm. of the ball moving around well and it resulted in so many of these open shots and they have the guys to knock them down yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and just to transition looking at the Denver game uh I think everyone kind of jumped in like oh here we go again I will say that the after looking both games and I and I analyzed both halves like extensively I went deep dive and uh, the Denver game was more of Denver performing like a number two seed in the west than the Spurs blowing it really I think Denver just was unbelievable in the second half they got absolutely freaking torched by Jokic and Murray in the final stretch that 15-0 run they literally just ran pick and roll and just crushed them constantly I think that if there's one thing to point at um, I really think that Lonnie obviously should have been the game over Marco. Not that Marco was a direct problem in all of it, but if you look at the first half, Lonnie would cheat, stop Murray from penetrating. He would kick out. Sorry, he would kick out, and then it would result in a three. Yeah. And the people outside of Jokic and Murray were shooting seven of thirteen from deep. You were going to lose those games to the Nuggets. Like if they're doing that, you yeah. lost, and that's just that's just a reality. Yeah. But that was my thing down the stretch is that they stopped doing that and they let Murray. They essentially Murray beat them, yeah. and I would have rathered the other three starters beat. Yeah. If you're going to go nine of fifteen, then then what it is? I mean, it is what it is. But I don't think that the Spurs collapsed uh, I, offensively. They were performing so so like at a pace where it was just they could not sustain it. Yeah. That when they stopped, yeah. Denver was consistent throughout the game. And yeah. even though they were leading, like the Spurs were leading by I think ten at halftime, the Denver was still hitting. A lot of shots it was just the Spurs were limiting opportunities and also outscoring them but once it got to a point where they couldn't outscore them it was just sort of Denver just kept doing their thing and chipped away and a drought happened and that was it the Spurs hit everything in that first half Mm -hmm. and I mean they finished that game 16 to 32 from three that's Mm -hmm. that's 50 percent that's most of the time you think they're gonna win that game Denver 18 to 35 yeah 51 Mm percent and you know it's not quite that simple but yeah, it's indicative. I wonder if it comes down to just being one guy short. If Demar is healthy for that game, if he plays, if that kind of helps them, kind of falling off there in that second half, especially in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, I, I don't know how much it does because I think in the first half, if Demar's there, maybe you don't get some other shots that were going in from everybody else. Yeah. But then in the second half, Demar was certainly missed. So I, I think it probably equals out that yeah. Demar maybe would have helped stop a run. But also when that run happened, Demar's not on the court. That's true. So that's the thing is it was that same unit that was messing up. And that's why in the beginning of the Nuggets game, that's why you saw the rotations out because coming off the Kings game, Pop was like, well, you know, Derek and, and Yak and all these guys that I rely on, they had such a rough stretch there so now I'm going to change it I'm not going to bring them back out and then Malone just play I mean Yak was still in there in the in 
the start the se- uh, the fourth quarter, and Malone played four guards, and Pirtle was brought out, and they just roasted. Like I just think Malone Malone outcoached Pop that game. Yeah. I just think Malone yeah. had an unbelievable game plan against the Spurs, and for every action there was a counteraction from the Nuggets and they had the answer and that's yeah. why the Nuggets are dangerous in a sense because they have all this depth and they're like a better version of the Spurs because their depth will counteract your depth yeah. and that's sort of what happened but to your point Evan I think it, it doesn't account for much but uh, a few things go their way there's a few less second half collapse we're looking at a team that's maybe half a game one and a half game out of eighth place and not five and a half games yeah, right I, I, and, and I mean I, I think that's got a lot of Spurs fans attention turned away from the season and what happens in the offseason, which is mm-hmm. actually where a lot of your uh, Twitter questions come into play here. If we want to turn to the mailbag, I've got them all right here on some note cards. Uh, and starting here with at Ayo Roost, what offseason moves should the Spurs make? I'll let you go first. Um, I think it's become quite clear in the last two years that um, if DeMar DeRozan is your best player, if you're building around him, it kind of puts a hard cap. Mm-hmm. on where the team can go. And for that reason and for the reasons that we talked about earlier with giving more opportunities to these talented young players that the Spurs mm-hmm. are very invested in, um, I would love to see a sign-and-trade for an asset or two. Mm-hmm. Like if they can move up in the draft, if they can get a 3 and D wing, if they can get any sort of pieces that will help this young core, yeah, I'm in favor of that sort of move. Now, are you and, and talking about sign and trade? Are you saying sign Demar and trade or yeah. okay, cool? Yeah. yeah. So I and we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. I, when if you had to tell me in uh, between Lamarcus and Demar who to get rid of, I, I think it'd be Demar because Lamarcus. By the way, everyone's got something to say about Lamarcus. I understand that, but it's really tough to find a dude yeah. who can do what he does at seven feet tall. Right. And if he can just make it a priority to stay beyond the arc, he is a huge asset going forward and can work within that group. So I 100% agree. I think it, it starts – the offseason begins with the DeMar-DeRozan question because yes. the cap is affected dramatically mm-hmm. by what you do with DeMar. So absolutely number one priority is figuring out what you want to do with DeMar. I agree. I think the sign and trade is the best move. Uh, I 100% agree. You need a 3 and D guy. You need to replace Bryn with somebody who can play defense and shoot three-pointers, not just shoot three-pointers and, you know, get what you're getting with Bryn. It's a huge problem. And that guy might be on the team already. Yeah. So <laughs> who do you – I mean, if if it were up to me and I was making the lineups, I would have Lonnie in there yeah. instead of Bryn because he shoots well enough to space the floor, which is – like the primary value mm-hmm. that Bryn gives you, because his production isn't great or consistent. Yeah, it's just the the concept that he spaces the floor. Yeah, and Lonnie shoots well enough to do that, and he also can defend multiple positions mm-hmm. and put the ball on the floor, and you're not like holding your breath every time he does, like with Danny Green. You yeah. Know? Like I, my and my counterpoint to that is, I 100% agree. If you want to put him in that role, he can succeed in that role. Right. I always just worry about the development. Are we? If you put him into that role, are you not untapping this? Are you are you not utilizing his athleticism appropriately? Like, right. are you are you holding back a little bit of what else he can provide in the game just to fill that void? You'd rather keep him as a slasher. Or yeah. A fast break guy I, I, now I'll say this. This year, I think it'd be fine to say, look, we're going to, I mean, it's not like just 
these attributes go away. Like this year, we're going to put you in this role. Next year, we're going to make you flourish in a different role. But then the other side of the coin is we should just have him developing in the role that we think he's going to fit in the future. So that's one of those things where I uh, 1,000% agree with you that in this offense, I would love Lonnie starting with Murray. I love that duo. And then I also think the offense will work with him spacing. It's just one of those that I always worry. And then he can be a secondary playmaker. You know, Mm -hmm. if he catches at the arc and a guy closes out, he can put it on the floor and he's very, very dangerous Mm -hmm. attacking, making quick decisions in that offense. Yeah. Um, You know, he's, he's a good pick and roll player. He's not the best at it. Mm -hmm. Um, He, he's probably, you know, fourth or fifth on the list on this team. Um, So I, I think having him in sort of an off ball role where, he really focuses on defense mm-hmm. and, you know, takes his shots in the flow of the offense. I think that's the best role for him right now at this stage in his career for, so, for him and for the Spurs. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the minority on the podcast. I'm probably in the minority around, among Spurs fans, too, that you signed DeMar to that max contract and you roll with DeMar and LaMarcus for at least two more years. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, A, because I think that's your best potential at getting back into the playoffs immediately and B, you want to be back in the playoffs immediately because I don't know how much longer you're going to have Coach Pop. Mm-hmm. And, and while Coach Pop is there, he's the kind of coach that can take a team that might be a sixth seed or a fifth seed and propel them to a semifinals mm-hmm. run, maybe even get to the, the NBA, like Western Conference Finals there. Uh, and, and instead, you sacrifice a little bit of your depth. I, I would argue that the Spurs are too deep right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at players that aren't playing. Uh, you've got a lot of salary built in players who aren't who aren't seeing the court a lot. I mean, one of those guys is Damari Carroll, whom we don't know what happened with. Um, but if you look at your guards, I mean, if you find someone to replace Bryn, Bryn's kind of an extra guy out there. You can trade one of these. The backcourt going into the season, we knew it was going to be stacked. The guys you want to see out there are the Mills, White, Walker, Murray. Uh, yeah, those guys. And then you've got Bellinelli. You still have Bryn out there, too. Mm-hmm. If you get rid of some of those guys, sacrifice a little bit of the depth. Find either a two-guard who can, who can be a 3-and-D guy or, or find someone who to replace Trey Lyles, uh, a little bit better of a defensive guy, a little better of a shot, three-point shot, uh, and then you kind of build around that. I think you're, you're a playoff team next year. I, mm-hmm. I think what hurt this team going into it was having to start Trey Lyles, having to start Bryn Forbes, two guys whom I don't think the team expected to rely on as much as they have so far. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody who covers this team came into this season thinking Bryn Forbes is going to not only start but play the most minutes of anybody yeah. not named LaMarcus or DeMar. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Yeah. If you take DeMari Carroll's contract and yeah. this then this pick that we're going to have here, maybe sacrifice that this isn't a great draft, you know? I, I haven't studied it too much, but you get past the top five, top six, and it kind of drops off a little yeah. bit. You don't go for the home run guy that you've done in the past, like Lucas Hominich, uh, and and you instead you use it to find a guy who can come and now be serviceable as a three and D guy, uh, a more reliable starter than Forbes and Lyles, and then you're back in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I'll say this, and, and then we'll move on to the next question because yeah. I don't want to get hung up on one. But um, there's really only one option, and you mentioned this again yesterday when we were talking for Demar and free agency. That's Detroit. Yeah, he literally has one option of free agency. So the Spurs kind of have him cornered. Yeah, because a lot of teams that had cap space really decided to use it now because they said, eh, the free agents stink next year, whatever, we're not going to worry about it. And not to mention, nobody wants to commit money yeah. into 2021, you know, which the small franchises will do that because they know they're not going to hit home runs. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the Spurs are also one of those teams that's going to have tons of money after next season. How are they going to utilize that? And I really think if the Spurs want to be forward-thinking, I really think they should try to build moves 
that are going to help them in 2021 and try to find great young talent that would, you know, take up some of that space. Mm -hmm. But maybe they can snag because they're not going to hit home runs with these. They're not going to get the big time guy. They're going to get second, third tier people. So maybe you can get a uh, below one to second tier person now, lock them in. No worries about trying to manipulate the free agent market. Yeah. So moving on to the next question. Uh, we started next! on this one. We sort of a hit. That's, that's why I printed them out. I wanted a physical <laughs> thing to throw here. That's the only guess you, reason. Guess only you hate reason. the trees. Uh, yeah. well, I already had these note cards. So <laughs> I had to put them to use somehow. Uh, we kind of addressed this one. Uh, we've seen a small sample size of games without DeRozan, without Aldridge this season. Has the team looked better without one or the other? And is there one you'd choose over the other? That question comes from at... SJ Gons too. So I think that there's a pre and post Lamarcus shooting threes. Yeah. Aldridge discussion. So we're going to talk right. about the guy that he is now, not the guy that we saw in the first 20 to 25 games. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit. I think we're both on the Lamarcus Aldridge chain over Demar. I think um, moving forward, that's who I would choose. And whether the team looks better or not, I mean, I'll just say this. When LaMarcus didn't play, one of the games was against Detroit with yeah. Blake Griffin, with Andre Drummond. That was, like, the worst time for him yeah. to miss a game. Yeah. It, and they got blown out. It was, like, literally if there was, like, one team that you would say at that point in time, LaMarcus, you cannot miss this game. You actually are very needed. Right. That was a game. And yeah. it so uh, it's even unfair to bring that up. With the DeMar, what I've seen the last couple of games, um, I've liked what I've – I just like the offense – let me I let me just say this. I like watching the team more. I yeah, think I think uh, you know there's also debate here. Like I hate watching the Rockets. I think any NBA fan hates watching the Rockets. Right? They they're just like uh, they they pretty much have butchered the game of basketball. I think right. what Greg Popovich would say. You know, like uh, hand on uh, you know get off my lawn type of things. <laughs> but uh, you know, so from that perspective, I also enjoy it more. Um, but there's, there's an argument to be made that Demar is basically Harden with no step back. Yeah, you know, I just uh, Demar is just, uh, and he's a fantastic player. Yeah, fantastic player. And and I think next week again, you know, we've we've hammered this home constantly that Demar was simply the best that the Spurs can get at the deadline. Who was in the Eastern Conference, right. and they took him and just did not care about the fit. He just doesn't fit yeah. and they've tried to figure out the fit and it worked offensively once Lamarcus spaced out yeah. and I was very optimistic and I, I still do like how the offense looks but are you maximizing all the players around him to yeah. do that that's the question is like is it worth is DeMar worth uh not tapping into the ceilings of Derek White and DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker yeah. is your team better that way when you can push them further right I I agree and Two things can be true, right? Demar this year has been the the superior player. Yeah, he. I don't think there's any question about that. He's been the best player on this team, but moving forward, Lamarcus Aldridge just fits better with the the group of young guys that this team has assembled. Mm-hmm. So, moving forward, I, I think keeping Lamarcus so long as he continues to shoot threes. Yes, Lamarcus, if. if you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Please shoot threes. Yeah. Please don't post up anybody who's yeah. like bigger than you or even the same size as you. <laughs> if you got a mouse in the house, go for it. <laughs> but if 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 it's a question between setting a screen and popping to the arc or standing on the block and going, hey, uh-huh. give it over here, don't do that one. Yeah. Um, 
Aldridge has been, he's a top five player at, at scoring in the post right now. He's got 1.05 points per shot. That's fifth really? in the league. Yes. That LeBron, was way lower earlier in the year. He's popped it up. According to Kirk Goldberry, he posted it today. He's top five in the post. Okay. I, I, I just don't think that works uh, anymore. I think, well, like even, even you're saying it, number five in the league is 1.05. Yeah. yeah, it's still super inefficient. So yeah. that just goes to show you where the post-up move is in the modern NBA right now. Number one is LeBron with 1.25 points. Yeah, and he's post. a freak. Yeah, he's, he's an insane. absolute freak. Uh, I mean, there's two there's two two paths to go depending on, depending on the guy you choose. I think you kind of hit it on the head, Tom, when you were talking about how if you've got DeMar, let him be your Harden. Let him be the guy who's driving, maybe get into the line. And then you surround him with three-point shooters. Uh, that sacrifices, like you said, the young guys there. Uh, and I like these young guys. I, I don't know if they're a set of young guys who can win a championship mm-hmm. in five years without an, adding some other big piece there. Uh, the LaMarcus thing is interesting. I just don't ever think he was brought in to be the guy in pop system. I mean, when he was brought in, he was the second guy to Kawhi. Uh, and, of course, that all fell apart. Um, yeah. And you guys know the history of that one. Uh, I, I just And you look at age two. I, I'm siding with DeMar on this one. I think it's more exciting if you have him being the, the guy slashing, who's driving, who's making the contact, and then you set him up with three-point shots or... Or if you can teach Pirtle to pick and roll, maybe, you know? Well, Pirtle does a great job with White, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. uh, those good. two are great. My Okay, so my issue is here is that I think ideally I'm with that. Yeah. But with how the team is built, I don't think you can fix it. Like, I don't think you can build what you want. I don't think they can build in a quick enough time before him completely falling and regressing. I 100% agree with you. I don't think that option is feasible under Coach Pop. I mm-hmm. think you're going to have to look for another coach to kind of do that. I mean, you got to you got to drastically yeah. ship off some of your young pieces to do that. Like, you have to alter the, the team. Yeah. Because having guys like, you know, Lonnie, I guess, could technically be there and Derek you're limiting his role I mean it's just you know when they brought in Harden they said you're the star of the show and we're going to build around you so when they brought in DeRozan it wasn't you're the star of the show and I just don't I also don't think it's a pop philosophy either so you know I'm just being contrarian yeah I got you no I appreciate it throw it throw it right all right you you do it then (laughs) okay um this kind of goes uh, hand in hand with that one. If you had to choose between re-signing one of those guys, keeping one of those guys, DeRozan and LaMarcus, or shipping both of them off, kickstarting the rebuild, and letting Murray, White, Walker, Shamanich, Keldon Johnson get the reps next season, even if it means the worst record, which one do you choose? That question comes from at JKE818. And I'll say we can we could probably go through this one quickly. Yeah. I think we've yeah. met. We've done the DeMar and the LaMarcus thing. Yeah. I think yeah. we know where where all of us stand. I think if I don't think there's a wrong choice if you want to ship them both. I I think that we stand in DeMar, the sign and trade, LaMarcus, play beyond the arc. Right. Yeah. And that would be a good move going forward. And uh, obviously when LaMarcus's contract is up after next season, he is not a $27 million player and you have to work a contract out and yeah. that will be another decision. But I'll say this, I don't know what kind of market's going to be out there with LaMarcus when you have all the other people in that market. So I think there could be a compromise made and there's a question that we can talk about next year of how much money you want to commit to him and we can figure that out depending on how he looks next year. Yeah, right. I think, I, I feel like, this team is like already 75, maybe 80% rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like through the draft in the past four or five years, they have really committed to building something that is long and athletic and versatile and yeah. scary. And, you know, I, I think that the, the question about these guys is can they fit into that? Can they contribute? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think 
LaMarcus still can so long as he plays that way. Yeah. I think that DeMar, probably not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they've got a type of guy that they're looking for. We've right. talked about it in the past, and, long athletic dudes. And they met you, you know, in that question, you mentioned some of the, the G-leaguers right now, and I don't know if there are more G-league questions out there, but, I, I mean, there's a rant to be had on that, so I don't know if I, yeah. I can hold back on that. We're going to wrap with a question I'll present to you guys. Okay, so, so that'd hold, be good. hold the yeah. G-league conversation yeah, yeah. for that. Um, I'm with you guys. I think we've, we've, we're at the point where we've rebuilt yeah. 90% of the way there. It's just as the DeMar LaMarcus question, yeah. which we've talked mm-hmm. about there. Cool. All right, in uh, connection to that, too uh, just kind of and and if you guys can quickly answer this one Mm -hmm. at what point in time do those guys get the step up do we shut down the vets and give the minutes to the young guys is there Uh, a chance to to do that i think that um you'll probably see it around the last 10 to 15 games look the spurs are not out of it yet and they are not going to wave the white flag before they're out of it the fact of the matter is if you are looking at this objectively do they have a good chance no but memphis does have the toughest strength of schedule remaining. So to project the Grizzlies on the same winning trajectory yeah. would also objectively be false. And I've seen that floated out there on Twitter that like at this pace, the Spurs would have to win 44, and that means they'd have to go like 21 and set, whatever it might be. And that's under the guise that Memphis continues to exceed expectations and beat a slew of tough teams. Yeah. And, and they're gonna they're gonna beat up on a couple of them. But you know, when the winning percentage is is uh, Point five four five, I think, is what I just looked at. I mean, that's a tough road. Yeah. And I don't know back-to-backs. I don't know any of that stuff. They're a young team. And with a young team, usually young teams poop out at the end because yeah. they are playing the most games they've ever played in their life. Um, you know, I have a I lived in Spokane for four years, um, so I know a lot of the Zags. When Domus Sabonis got into the league, he was telling people, like, I am burnt the f out yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it is a grind like i've like played basketball my whole life and it's nothing like this so yeah. i'm just i'm just saying in my opinion and, and lillard just got a groin injury i don't know what's gonna happen mm-hmm. there in my opinion i think the blazers are the team that the spurs need to watch for versus yeah. the grizzlies and we'll revisit the grizzlies in 10 games yeah grizzlies have been so much fun to watch I tons mean, of fun jaw is i i love him but the as the Grizzlies' strength of schedule gets harder, after this gauntlet of the rodeo road trip, the Spurs' strength of schedule mm-hmm. gets yeah. a little easier. Right now, the Spurs are the tenth easiest remaining schedule out there, and when they get out of the road, uh, when they get out of this All Star break, they got the Thunder and the Jazz immediately. So that means you're going to knock it down a little bit more. Right. You know, really, they got to get through three games against the Jazz, I think. Three more games against the Jazz. They got the Rockets again. Yeah. Uh, they got to get through a game with the Thunder, and there's like one more toughie out there. And then you just have like the Spurs have to beat the 500 type teams. There's Survive. No, yeah, like it's really what it comes down to. Like, so what I'm hearing is the window is still cracked open to the point where maybe you keep the guys playing a little longer. DeRozan mm-hmm. and Marcus keep kind of doing what you're doing. I will say this: when the season is officially over and they know that there is no shot we will see them give the guys a chance. Yeah. I just That is just common sense. It might even just be the last game of the season. Suddenly Shaman is just starting or something. Yeah, yeah. The, look, it just the Spurs, they are not going to wave a white flag at this playoff streak. They're just not. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but just you're, I know everyone's down and out, but they are not down and out. All right, Magician Yang, thank you for your question. 
Uh, this one, um, this is kind of looking back at the whole season here from at just dancer 73. What did the Spurs gain this year? You know, the streak is over. Uh, you spend a lot of money on Damari Carroll who you're not playing Marco and Bryn keep taking away minutes from Lonnie and Derek. Why not make it? Why didn't they make a deadline deal? Why, why, why are they keeping this together? All right. First off, I will reiterate this and I will continue to reiterate this. There was no deadline deal to be had. Yeah. The one thing they were looking for was to dump Damari Carroll to someone that, you know, what people have to understand is for the reasons that you don't like Marco, the reasons you don't like Bryn, the reasons you question things about Damari. You don't think opposing GMs think the same thing, if not, and are smarter than all of us? Yeah, not even the Knicks wanted to. Like, so. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying is, like, people just forget, like, it takes two to tango. Yeah. Right. And if they could do some of these deals, I think they would have. Um, but there was no deal to be had. No deal to be had. So I, that needs to be pushed I, to the side. I think it's important to note, though, that one of the main reasons there was no deal to be had for Damari Carroll was because the way the Spurs have managed him this year has completely tanked his value. If he's got 1,000%. percent not that Now, I'm not absolving the Spurs of Damari Carroll. Let me, yeah. ab- let me say this. <laughs> they completely and utterly messed up the Damari Carroll situation. There's no way it reflects well on there is That was a complete whiff. They yeah. are stuck in that mistake. They, that is a mistake. It is 100% their fault, yeah. and the reason that... His value is tanked is because of the way that they valued him, the way that they used him, and the way they chucked him to the side. Yeah. You know, that is on them. And I don't know what the internal thing is. I don't, uh, we still have no idea. What am you I know, biggest... if you ask Pop about it, he, he says that he's doing all the right things and he'll right. be ready when he's ready. But that's all we got. One of my biggest fears is that they wind up having to buy him out and then he goes to some contending team and plays well. And everyone's like, what are they doing over yeah, there in San Antonio? I, you know, I. The the reports were he came in out of shape, you know, in, into training camp. Yeah. And I don't know if there was a respect thing. Just this has never happened. Yeah. They've never like yeah. the tough love and stuff is always a a thing. But, of like, you know, Pearl got that. Like, I mean, it took him a long time before he was a mainstay, really. You know, he got limited minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, the trust started gaining. But there was no opportunity for him to even gain trust. Yeah. He never, ever had a chance. Even they never Lottie gave Walker him at the beginning of the season was kind of the guy that yeah. people were like, man, yeah, yeah Pop's so hard on him. And, and, and that was, you know, that was a mistake on Pop's yeah. part, too. I, I think if you look back in the season, the what-ifs, a big what-if for me is if you played Walker earlier when it was clear as day that he was a better option. And so I think that when you look back, what have you gained? I think you've you've gained clarity. Yeah. Okay? Because that. last year, it was a foggy vision. The uh, guys played phenomenally. Bryn played out of his mind. Rudy played out of his mind. Marco was contributing. Um, you know, I, I think that you had this idea that this could work. And... You know, uh, Mike Finger does so many uh, great pieces for the San Antonio Express. Uh, he did a great piece just about when, you know, Clay got injured in the playoffs last year and then Steph goes down with an injury. The Warriors' hand was forced immediately. Yeah. You know, they knew the route that they had to go and they had to tank. You know, people say, like, oh, tip your cap to the Warriors. Tip your cap. Look at them. That was not the plan. No, right. They brought in D'Angelo <laughs> Russell for the sole purpose to bridge the year gap that Clay's not going to be there and to see if it works long term yeah. they were completely on that signing planning on peddling him the next year Absolutely. once they returned so let's cut the bs out right now okay if on this team demar and lamarcus got injured 
the Spurs would be in a full tank mode too. Right. Oh, yeah. And they would have a great excuse, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to feel bad about not making the playoffs, and they would have done things differently. But that's not how the cookie crumbled. Yeah. They had to figure out if last year's success was repeatable, and they have figured out it is not, which should lead to decisions. And that might just be Brian Wright going to Pop saying, look, we did it your way this year. We, you know, can we try and meet in the middle and, and figure out some ways? Because, you know, I know there's a, a brain drain, but at the same point, the Spurs are still head and shoulders the class when it comes to thinking about the league and success and whatnot. And yeah. even though we aren't seeing it right now, I, I just have a tough time believing that they're just like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Can I throw this one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here you go. I'll pass it on over there. Uh, as I'm passing over there, I'm just going to uh, ask, is this it? Did I throw it? Where'd it go? What are you doing, man? I don't know. One, Where one was job going? to throw the... Throw this one. Uh, we'll say that's the one. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it might be the one. It might be the one. Uh, as you're throwing that, I just real quickly, I think uh, this might be a little pessimistic, but the way the Spurs handled Damari Carroll might detract other free agents from wanting to come Absolutely. there. Veterans who say, I want to finish up my career. Like, you know, where am I going to play? Looking at teams to play at. And then they see how the Spurs handled Damari Carroll, a guy that they paid a lot of money and like uh, for whom he was. That was a kind of quite a big salary that they're putting him. And yeah, I attracted someone from one to come. But. I say yes and no. Yeah. Um, I get it, certainly. Uh, but also, um, you know, I think it's pretty tough to, to go like that. Think about all the players that go and, and hug pop after games, like the yeah. best players yeah. in the league. The dude is respected beyond belief. Yeah. And I, I don't think that Popovich's it, like two-decade-plus run of one of the best coaches we've ever seen in the NBA right. is going to be tarnished because Damari Carroll didn't fit. So I, still, I just want to manage the I, – I it looks bad, but it's – I still think that the way the season has gone and the reasons that it has gone this way, it, it does raise serious questions, mm-hmm. not just for – Spurs fans and you know people who cover the team, but for other players who are yeah. maybe considering it as a destination. Yeah. I found the card. And I, and I think that's a that's a fair point. One hundred one hundred percent fair point. And I think that um, for any destination for a free agent, right? Are you going to win? And the fact that you're not winning doesn't entice people to come. You know, Lamarcus Aldridge came to San Antonio because it was Kawhi, and they had a winning formula, and he won a championship. So. Yeah. Uh, are, are the Spurs stealth tanking? We actually got this one a handful of times. That's a fun phrase on the internet yes. going around. This is stealth a f- tank. This is a fun conspiracy theory for me because it's so dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the idea that like they're playing Demar thirty-five minutes a game, or that they're starting Bryn Forbes, right? Yeah. right. Like, like they're they're doing that on purpose so they can stealth tank into like the the tenth best draft lottery odds. That is one of the most asinine ideas. <laughs> I, I, I understand because it's like, you know, there has to be some explanation and some people are like, this is just a galaxy brain pop. Like It's a great way to write, write off any problem you have with the right. team. Oh, it's because they're still thinking. Yeah, it's, Right. Look, it, it keeps going by in the fact, it goes back to the last question. I 100% agree with what Tom said. I don't have to add on to it. He said it, he said it perfectly. But the thing is that... Um, when it comes to this season, you ask why. Yeah. The fact is, if they are going to move into a different direction and blow up the thing or, or say that, you know what, tomorrow's not going to work, whatever, you have to see it through. Right. And you just have to ride it out and just say that, you know what, there was no, um, like, Brent all of a sudden didn't just 
have a, an extreme hot streak for a month and then got those percentages back up to 40%. You want to make sure that you did your due diligence, yeah. you saw right. it through, and that it didn't work. So, If the Spurs were, were tanking, they would have uh, done anything at the deadline yeah. if they if they yeah. could. They, they would have traded. I mean, Andre Drummond was traded for nothing, right. for a bag of peanuts. Right. <laughs> like, really. and, and if that's the direction the Spurs wanted to go, they would have done yeah. the same with their yeah. veterans. All right, Evan, you can throw that one. Oh, sweet. Uh, this Love one you, bagel, uh, is, a, is a little, uh, yeah, underscore bagel submitted that one. <laughs> what a great uh, Look, I, Twitter handle there. But. I'm with you on the bagels. Yeah. <laughs> there, we are tight, and that bond will never be broken. All right, this is the Big Bagel Podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, Got this, Bagel Boss, Boss Bagel. A little of an in-depth question here from GoSpurs Go G Zero. I mean, uh, can you explain Confusing. what the, they're doing on defense that's enabling average three-point shooters like Zion, LeBron, Gary, Trent Jr., Valentine, Reddish, Beverly, Siakam, Nunn, et cetera, et cetera, go Steph Curry level nuclear on us and shoot fifty to seventy-five percent or even hundred percent with volume three-point attempts? That's been our biggest problem on defense. Okay, so I'm gonna say something that I say to my mother all the time, and if you guys don't know, my mom is a big sports fan. That's why I'm in sports. Yeah. It's, so she she likes to throw out grandiose things like that. First off, you need st- I need stats. Like saying 50 to 75 percent or even 100 percent. That's just a, that's a lie. That's yeah. You are using you are exaggerating the truth. That being so, said, there's have been performances so, like so Buddy Healed who was nine me, for let ten. Me, let me just yeah. go through the list. All right, Zion, you just t- like you just tip your cap. The game yeah. plan is. Put Zion on the arc, and if he hit threes, you're going to lose. Like, right. you have to understand, these players are in the NBA for a reason. Zion Williamson has been the most hyped player since LeBron James, or sorry, should, since Anthony Davis, yeah. for a reason. When you say LeBron, the game plan for years and years against LeBron has been force him to hit threes. If he makes threes, you will lose. You yeah. will lose. Yeah. You know, he is the best player of all time, arguably next to Jordan. I don't want to, I'm not getting Pump into debate. The one, yeah. one of, one of the best players of all time. Because he's LeBron James. Yeah. Okay? But Gary Trent. Gary Trent Jr. Gary Trent Jr. leading up to that game, I'm with you. But also, his three-point percentages have skyrocketed. I don't know if you looked. Last night, he stunk. Uh-huh. But, like, I literally, after that game, I looked at Gary Trent Jr. And, like, he was, like, a 40% three-point. 43. Yeah. Like, it, like, his recent stretch was just, he was hot. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, the fact is, though, if you're, you're so worried about guarding C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard, you have to let other players beat you, and you just tip your cap to Gary Trent Jr. beating you. But yeah. I, I will say the the perimeter defense all year has been bad. Yes, overall, and you know every every time you have a lineup with one or two or maybe even three guys who are not good perimeter defenders, the smart teams key in on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you have a bunch of those guys together, and they can either design plays to get the guy that, that that person is guarding open, or they can have, you know, a, a breathing offense that moves and moves the ball around. Yeah. The Spurs defense just can't keep up you're as a team. St- you're starting two guys in that backcourt named DeMar DeRozan and Bryn Forbes, and they are not good defensive players. They are terrible defensive players. That weighs into this. You're not going to win if you've got two of those guys, and they're going to attack them. I mean, if you've got one defensive right. guy, you can typically hide mm-hmm. them on the corner on someone who's not going to actually be shooting. The game. But, uh, yeah, but, I mean, I, I think that plays into it. If you have multiple it, yeah. weak links, the chain right. is not there. Exactly. No, I, I get you. And I, I, that is not to absolve the perimeter defense, you know. Right. But, but also, the Spurs' perimeter defense has fluctuated this year. They mm-hmm. have had times where they started the year abysmal. Then they hit a great stretch where teams were doing 
horrendously against the Spurs yeah. beyond the arc. And now recently they've fallen back into places where they've been bad. So it has fluctuated. But, you know, it, it, and Reddish is another guy. We're entering that game, because I remember this, entering that game he was 28% from Terrible. three. Yeah. So, One like, of the worst players I in the just, league. I just think it's a mixture between the perimeter defense being bad, but also just bad luck. Yeah, I think yeah. that sometimes it's bad luck. And there are games also where, you know, the Spurs have seen luck on their side, but we never remember the wins. We always remember the losses. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that OKC stunk, stunk yeah. absolutely yeah. stunk. I mean, like, it's not that the Spurs, like, really clamped it down. They were certainly no. better. They, they, they certainly had a great effort, but the fact that they scored, what, 41 points in the first half was, yeah. not, a, was not the Spurs being just this unbelievable defense. Yeah. It was the fact that OKC was just missing shots left and right. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. And I think the Spurs throughout the course of the season have just seen more unlucky, um, have seen a lot of players go above their averages against them, where that was part of the game plan was to force them to beat them. Yeah. And those players then beat them. You went a little De Niro in the face there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, hey. Yeah, Evan, that was your card to throw. Um, Did I even land? I didn't hear it land. It's still going up there. <laughs> people say oh it's still flying God. over the hemisphere <laughs> tower. Um, real quick, um, it hasn't ended yet, but if the playoff drought does end, how long do you expect it to last? Not long at all. I, uh, I, I, would, I think that they can make some tweaks in this offseason and get right back in the hunt. Yeah, I, I would say... I've always said with this group, 2021-2022 is when I think they can be a major threat again. Yeah. And then these players are more developed, and then they can start getting free agents to say, hey, you're the piece we're missing. Right. Yeah. So I think that the organization has built something, and I just think people are pissed at the bridge from Kawhi to what they were building post-Kawhi. Yeah. Yeah. They were already forward-thinking, but this plan was not supposed to be in place for another, like, Three or four years. So I just think that Spurs fans were like asking for a build. Like the Spurs said, hey, we got a new building coming in like five years. Can't wait for it to be built. And then all of a sudden, like something happened and they were like, oh, we want to see that building built now. And it's right. like, well, you know, the, the plans are designed. It yeah. takes five years to build. I mean, we're not going to rush the process. Short term, very worried. L- Long term, even like a couple months out. Not worried at all. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think... I'm optimistic about the future, and you should be too. They're going to yeah. be a team that's going to stay competitive. I don't think they're ever going to be a team that tanks for a top three spot, which means they're always going to be pushing for one of those lower seeds. And I think they end up as a six, seven, eight seed in the next one or two years. Getting back to a top three seed in the West, uh, that's probably going to be closer we'll to 2030 see. than 2020. But that, but. That's, it's all got to start again. You know, yeah. it's, uh, the, the Nuggets kind of did that last year. Yeah. You got to have your first playoff series. You got to take your first playoff loss. And you got to have a, a, a terrible loss another like it stacks up like you know it just like the playoff experience then is a whole separate beast and luckily for some of these players outside of Murray which you know actually well Murray going back before the injury kind of had it so these players have sniffed it which is helpful but then when you build this nucleus it's going to be a whole new ball game so that we're going to have to go into a whole new thing about that all right I'm throwing that one. Last question from a viewer, and it's actually going to tie into my question here. This one comes from at Hobbyist Brendan. Does Marco Bellinelli own the best vineyard in the world? And if so, is he holding the, that wine hostage so Pop plays him over Keldon? And to, to, to kind of take that conspiracy and throw it in a more serious angle, Keldon Johnson was just named to the midseason all G League Western mm-hmm. Conference team, one of 12 to 15 players named that team. Is he ready to be, make the jump? And when does he make that jump? Do we see it this season, next season? Yes. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think um, 
we've joked about this in office, especially Joe Reinagle uh, and I, uh, beginning of the year when Lonnie wasn't playing. And I'm pretty convinced that Marco does have nudies of pop. And yeah. that's what it comes down to. Yeah, um, there's something out there. There is, yeah. So, uh, look, the, the Bellinelli stuff, I will say this, and the Bellinelli stuff, when it started out, I was all on the train. I get it. And you've exhausted a resource and whatever. For the most part, and it's resurfaced now that DeMar is injured, and, and I do hate that. Yeah. But, like, people, like, Marco would play like two minutes and I'd be like, gah, Spurs lost Marco again. And it's like, dude, like, <laughs> are you even minus lost? five? Like, like, a lot game, of the times yeah. you just point, like, you were like, it's like, then Marco wasn't playing anymore. And it was just like, Brin again. Yep. And it's like, sometimes, like, a lot of the times I get it. Sometimes, like, guilty. Yeah. Like, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just have to look at things and be like, okay, this was not a Brin fall game. It's not a Marco fall game. Yeah. Like, they make mistakes, but that's not the overall reason why they lose. Yeah. But going back to your question with Keldon at the end was, um, yes, I do think that you have. You have, if there was a buyout market for Marco and he can go to a playoff contender and a playoff contender wanted him, I think absolutely the Spurs would love to capitulate and say, look, not working. Um, there you go. See you later. Go on a playoff run and, and yeah. best of luck to you. I think yeah. that would be an optimal standpoint. Proof that nobody, A, wanted to trade for him, B, wants him in the buyout market. He's not even mentioned in any, like, any, yep. any insider's article that I've read. Yeah. Not even mentioned. So the fact is the industry is pretty down on Marco. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think uh, if you're spending so much money on him, you feel like you have to use him. But I do agree that I, if you're – Keldon's weakness is shooting three-pointers. So the fact is Keldon does not bring to the table what Marco brings to the table. But on the opposite end of things, if you just tell Keldon to shoot threes, deal with the 26%, and then also just have his defense and his energy, I just think that pays off more dividends than what we get with Marco in the grand scheme of things. Like, you played Marco. You did it. I, you know, I reward your patience. I think that it was the wrong move, objectively speaking. But uh, nonetheless, you did right by Marco. Now you have to do right by your team. And yeah. I think Keldon presents defensively a better option than Marco. It gives you something different that the, he cannot provide. Yeah, Keldon is pretty much the polar opposite basketball-wise yeah. and yeah. skill set-wise. And just as, as a player than, than Marco, he's incredibly young. He's still pretty raw. His feel for the game is improving. Um, and the thing that he's doing best right now is creating his own shot, which was the biggest question about him coming into the league, was he was the third option, basically, mm -hmm. at Kentucky. He played pretty much a small ball four. And, you know, space the floor, and I think shot better in college from, mm -hmm. from distance. He did. Um, she, the, the sad thing is the concern was three-point shooting, and then it got worse in the G League. Yeah, but... but when, when you look at what he brings to the table, it's intensity. It's an absolute refusal to settle for anything. Yeah. He gets to the rim tenaciously. And, like, you know, if he misses, he's, his second jump is so fast that he's up on the glass and, and laying it back in. And the, the biggest thing, though, is the defense. Yeah. I mean, if you have a guy who's an absolute dog on defense and the thing that you're struggling with the most is defense – yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe like maybe throw him in there. You guys are both saying like, I mean, he's not the guy who'd be getting Bellinelli's minutes if Bellinelli wasn't on the team. That's probably going to Walker. You you probably see more increased minutes for Murray, Walker, and White. You know, right. I think Patty Mills is kind of maxed out on minutes there, but those are where the minutes are going. 
Um, and and Keldon, yeah, man, their plays. Keldon Johnson just reminds me of a young Russell Westbrook. Yep. I, I think he doesn't have the insanity that Russell Will, that Russell Westbrook and Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook brings to the court. Pacific Northwest, um, there, man, sneaking back out, sneaking back out there. Um, but man, he, he's the guy that replaces Demar Derozan in two years. That's yeah. Evan. You've been bringing yeah, that up. Yeah. So I like when I watch Keldon Johnson play, he's got like this a little bit of Demar Derozan in him. It just, uh, as you said, tenaciously attacking the basket. Got a lot of things in the toolkit offensively speaking yeah. doesn't shoot very well from three if there is one distinct difference between DeMar and Keldon Keldon does not dish it as well as mm-hmm. DeMar I think uh, Keldon will absolutely crush DeMar defensively you know if you're right. picking yeah. and choosing like Keldon is absolutely a tenacious defender I think uh, rebounding wise he'll chip in here and there as well just because of his effort yeah so I think when I watch Keldon play and I say sign and trade and even if they wanted to do similar things like I, I think today Keldon could fit into that role it would not look the same yeah. I just think you would see him score like I think he could be a 20 point scorer I don't think it's in a good effort like in wins necessarily maybe I don't know he, but he's such a tough person to get a comp to because yeah. he, he just goes over so many different categories of player and does like his versatility is a huge thing for him do you want to know who uh the the player he shaped his game after was kobe Kawhi, right leonard yeah Yeah. um and i think it's a really interesting little nugget that he's the last piece of that Kawhi trade yeah Mm -hmm. um and he he really especially at kentucky he shaped his game based on like 2014 system player Kawhi making those quick decisions in the flow of the offense. And that really gets me excited about Mm -hmm. his potential, especially because, you know, we know how the Spurs do things. He's not going to get a huge role early on. Mm -hmm. He's going to be a fourth or fifth option. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's going to have to make the most of his opportunities in the flow. And we already know he can do that. Coming into the year, we, like, we knew Shamanich was a project. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty clear that Keldon, with his body, with his skill set was the most prepared to contribute at the NBA level. And this year has only confirmed that. Yeah. And I, I'd even say maybe Quindary, but the, uh, Quint's good. I will say this. And, and this is my, my rant that I need to go on right now. Just so many, look, so many fans, uh, out there. I see all the time on Twitter. just like, where's Shamanich? Where's Kelton? Where's Mezzi? Where's Eubanks? Where's all these guys? And, and I just say this, all right. A lot of people argue, well, they should learn on the fly in the NBA, not down in the G League. Mm -hmm. I argue, right? We all have just mentioned it, right? You just said it, that the rebuild is 80% there. Why? Because they've drafted, they've nurtured, they've cultured. I don't get it. In almost all sports outside of football, what they're trying to do with the XFL, everyone goes down to the minor leagues. They work out the kinks. They get taught certain things that prepares them for the next level. Why all of a sudden in the NBA do we all freak out? that uh, or fans freak out that they're not in the NBA right now and for every person like the fact of the matter is when Kawhi came to the Spurs did he spend a lot of time in the G League no because he was a rare exceptional talent and he was ready and of course he fit into a certain role and they knew that people say about like Luka Doncic if he was on the Spurs he wouldn't play (laughs) that is false he was already a professional basketball player is I love Lonnie but Lonnie came in raw okay I love Keldon he came in raw Shamanich I think is an awesome project when people mention like oh they turned down Brandon Clark for Shamanich I say Nobody ever, when making that pick, was saying that Clark stunk, all right? right. 
people passed up Clark because he has a ceiling. Yeah. He is a guy that can help you now, but he really is not going to carry a team. He's a complimentary piece. Although, gotta say, he's been he's, fantastic. Oh, he's been year. awesome, and I think he's and been his a, shots great. Yeah, like that he, was a big question coming in. He's been a lot better than people have thought even coming in. I'm just saying what he was coming yeah. in. Yeah. But even saying that, even with knowing how well he's played this year, Shamanich's ceiling is superstar potential. Just yeah. because you don't make six eleven players who can put the ball on the floor, shoot threes, and add all this versatility to his game. So what I'm saying is just because the team at the NBA level is stinking and you think inject talent into it does not mean you blow up the progress of development. Development takes time, and that is what has been so successful for players like Murray, for White. Uh, You're seeing that development come to fruition with some of the younger players now, okay? And there are reasons why the Spurs don't have many draft picks, because they take their time and they do right by the player, not by what they need right now. They say, what does this player need? How can we help him? Make your mistakes down there where it doesn't matter, and when you come up, we're going to help you up here too, you know? When you bring up Keldon, I think it's time that honestly the G League is—he's better. He's—he's he's proven enough. Yeah. Now I think he—he yeah. he should just work with Chip, and just even if he's playing on the bench, I think his work with Chip on an outside shot would help. Yeah. But you know, like, man, th- I can't even begin to think about all the first rounders who have blown up and done nothing yeah. because they have been thrust into a role way too early. Yeah. I think to to answer that question about why fans are so antsy this year, it's. Because the NBA team has struggled so mightily, mm-hmm. and that's something that the Spurs really haven't had to reckon with for the last two decades since mm-hmm. I've been in diapers. Like mm-hmm. they, they are struggling this year at a pretty unprecedented level in the pop era. And when that's happening, and when you see veterans like Marco Bellinelli and like Rudy Gay, uh, and even Bryn Forbes to an extent when you see them struggling in areas that the team is really, really struggling in, Mm -hmm. and you see guys who are developing still, but definitely have the potential to make an impact at that next level, Mm -hmm. you start salivating. You're like, oh, I can't wait until these guys actually get a chance. Um, And the Spurs player development is pretty much unparalleled. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they have earned the right to, to... treat these players however they want to in order to make them better because the track record is proven um but the antsiness and the frustration is just it stems from a very frustrating season yeah and and i certainly understand that okay i do but i always say like just what is the other side of the coin what happens if you do bring up shamanich and Keldon and they get worse and it's really bad it's actually worse than you thought Are they rattled? Is their confidence changed? Are they now swimming? Is there, like, I'm just, and some people say, well, they'll learn on the fly. Okay, that's the optimist. Yep. But there is a pessimistic side, and there are a lot, a lot, a lot of players who float on by after that first rookie contract, and you never see them again. Yeah. You know? And I can even go back to the first round this season, and I can point out, we mentioned Cam Reddish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awful. He has been awful. Like, it just, you know, DeAndre Hunter hasn't been great either for yeah. the Hawks. And I loved him. And, and there's still potential with him. But who was the guy that Cleveland drafted instead of Kelton? Darius Garland? No, no. no. Later on, later on. Uh, I, I forget. Oh, uh, uh, no, not the guy out of Belmont, was it? It was. Oh, the, uh, the three-point shoot. Uh, Windler. Windler. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that was the one tweet on draft night that uh, Woj and Shams got wrong. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's, he's been doing nothing. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, Kevin Knox for the Knicks. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Frankie Smokes there for the Knicks. Do you, you want to go on a Knicks rant now? Yeah. <laughs> we can do everything for the Knicks. Zion Williams, bust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, you know, but that was the thing with Zion. They shut him, like I always said, he's, he's in freaking bubble wrap. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, the Pelicans are taking their, their sweet care. And even though they were freaking tanking in the beginning yeah. of the season. They were like, yo, we got to teach you how to walk. Right? Yeah, we, yeah, you're, <laughs> yo, we're teaching you about biometrics. <laughs> so, I mean, what I, organizations that do right by the players usually see success at some yeah. point. And I'm just saying that I get it. The bridge is bumpy and there are a lot, a lot, and I, you know, we have time next week, I think, to devote to why the bridge is here. And yeah. it does stem from Kawhi. And again, it does build off another Mike Finger piece that he did recently about, like, would it have all mattered? Did it change things? This result was sort of coming. I, and people say, well, you know, if it's going to happen, I'd rather watch a, a better product yeah, right. than aging vets who stink. But I, I'm just saying that in the grand scheme of things, if Kawhi was still on this team, nobody would give a hoot about who is in Austin right now. Yeah, because the they'd have 60 wins. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is like the development always happened this way. Yeah. This was always the way it's done. The only problem is now the spotlight has changed because we're like, oh, this is crap. What's the next thing? What's coming in the future? Bring this here. And it's like, and, and you know, so it just, yeah. this is the way they do things. It historically has worked phenomenally even with some players that have been undrafted like Bryn yeah. say what you want about him now but the fact that you know I don't think he's he should be a starter but they what we saw last year and the fact they made him into that or whatever he had like that was impressive yeah so um you know I'm just saying that the formula works in San Antonio and there's a reason why the formula doesn't work in other areas and yeah. teams perennially stink because they don't build and develop yeah the Silver and Black are going to keep doing that formula. Things are going to keep going as they are. And the struggling Spurs gets a nice break here with the All-Star break coming up. They're not going to have a game between this podcast and the next episode. Or a player in the game. Which is great. They're going to go home. They're going to rest, relax, take the time off. Uh, DeMar DeRozan's having his jersey retired at USC, by the way, tonight. Well-deserved, I think, for him. I don't know if he's... I, he played one season, by the way, at USC. Yeah, but I mean, who else does USC have? No, so. I get it. <laughs> like, I, get, I guess, you know, it's certainly one of those things where I think collegiate programs now... Yeah. It's just one of those like one-and-done era type of things where it's like you know uh he's the pride of of our area and i think uh it's just kind of interesting you know like yeah. how you think of retiring jerseys and like you do all these great things and like you, know, you think of like maybe like frank the tank at wisconsin and like spending like all these times and like getting them to a final four and you know like demar Derozan had a a pack 10 right like you know demar yeah. demar Derozan's so old how old is he he's so old it was the pack 10 Evan, uh, evan's busting out the jokes now. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, gotta, we were due we haven't had a bad one right, cut i didn't, <laughs> I didn't bring up the been gay ones so, yeah. i thought we were leaving that one that's up on there you. Yeah. That's, that's on, on you well we're not going to take a break in the least evan you'll be on tv on kins 5 mm -hmm. channel 5 here in san antonio uh breaking down all the spurs coverage um mm -hmm. and i know there's not to break up but you'll break down some of the all-star break coverage uh, this weekend as well yeah uh tom and i have you covered on the digital team at kins5.com follow us on twitter at kins5 at big fun pod follow us if you're listening to us on spotify go ahead and hit that subscribe button apple podcast hit that subscribe button youtube i think it's there that yeah we, right there, right we, there. we gotta we gotta look this up it's somewhere <laughs> over there mash directionally challenged mash all of the buttons just, if you will it's either here or there just just click it yeah click it and we'll see you next time petrini out <laughs>